0: For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show-me state and entering the the show-me-the-money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guides for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be be empowered. empowered. Now, here are your show-me-the-money hosts,
1: Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade good morning and welcome to show me the money with randy and jake floyd the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning my name's jeff shade and i'm just here to ask the questions for you but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from randy and jake floyd of floyd financial group start with you randy how you doing this morning
2: doing great jeff how about you i'm
1: doing fantastic and jake how's this saturday morning finding you
3: living the dream jeff
1: (laughs) yeah i'd like to say that too living the dream here in the (laughs) ozarks and there's a lot of things to dream about here and uh, certainly glad to be on the radio with all the fine people here the last bastion of sanity springfield missouri Fall is upon us here. The leaves beginning to turn and everything is pumpkin spice. So that'll be the theme of our show today, a pumpkin spice retirement. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but we'll give it the old college try here. Let's start off with talking about what's going on in current events. I have noticed that we've got a debt crisis going on here. If anybody hasn't noticed that, credit card debt, $1 trillion, national debt, $33 trillion. Where is it all going to end? And why are Americans so intent on getting more in debt?
2: Yeah, Jeff, you know, that's a really good question. I was just sitting, just reading some stuff earlier this week and came across the deal. You know, we have now crossed $1 trillion in credit card debt, like you alluded to there.
3: One might even say that it's the trillion dollar question. Yeah, the trillion dollar
2: question. That's right. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's interesting, one of the things that Jake had pontificated about three or four, maybe even five years ago, was he thought that the credit card debt would be the next big shoe to drop Mm -hmm. looking forward, and if we look back... In 2013, we didn't have near as much credit card debt, and it was being financed at an average. The average interest rate was 13 and a little change percent. Today, it's 22%. So wow. you think about that for a minute. If you have a trillion dollars in debt, 22% is $220 billion in interest that people oh are paying on that.
3: Gosh. I think the part that's probably the most disturbing about it to me is that if you look at the rate that people are accumulating this debt, it's not slowing down. So so they're knowingly raking credit cards at 22% and not giving it a second thought.
2: Yeah, part of what's happening, though, too, is they're starting to see defaults go up along the same line. They're seeing subprime auto rates go up and defaults go up. So uh, they're expecting that there's going to be some fallout from there. And, you know, I don't want to be just, you know, a doomsayer and a negative person here on this program today, but some of this stuff is going to have to stop, you guys. So I think it plays into the fact that we are going to start to see the beginnings of a recession. Now, things are going to be fine on the other end, and those people that are listening to this show, for the most part, are probably not the people that are racking up the $1 trillion in credit card debt and have all the subprime auto loans that are going under and out. But just a word to the wise to think about, as this stuff starts to unfold, It's going to hurt those people, obviously, that are having to... You know, let their car go back, or those people that are defaulting, and, and now they don't have credit, they can't go buy anything. But it's going to also, on the other side of this, when it all shakes out, there will be lots of opportunity. But, you know, I, again, there, there has to be a reckoning day and a writing of the ship at some point. Now, I don't know when it is, but, you know, I'm just, and, and this is going to sound crazy, I'm just excited to see that it may actually happen so that we can really get to the other side and heal you
1: Yeah, I would agree with you completely. And again, I don't understand the mindset of raking up this credit card debt the way that they're doing it, because at some point in time, the piper must be paid. And if the piper is not paid and people default as they are with the subprime auto loans, as you said, it's going to affect those people who have those high interest loans like that. But it also trickles down to the rest of us in some way who are responsible with debt. And you said that it does create some opportunities. So let's look at the other side of this. Once this is all over and all these people default. I mean, I would think that that's going to have a tremendous effect on the rest of us if and when we need credit for very good reasons.
2: Right. It's often been said, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. They pay paradise and, so, and put up a parking lot. <laughs> that's exactly right that's right that's exactly right so you know it's funny you bring that up because i was on the water down at table rock and i was looking all around i was on the lake fishing and everywhere i looked everywhere i looked all around 360 degrees there were condos yeah galore and homes in fact i was fishing with this guy he said see that house up there i see said yeah i said 16 million dollars for that house oh my god! i said really i said 16 million said, Said, yeah, he said. Did you tell him this to- is
3: Table Rock, not
2: uh, not San Diego? <laughs> yeah, I mean this is this is Table Rock Lake. I mean we're talking about we're not far from Arkansas. No. <laughs> whoa 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 Hang whoa. We're here. sorry,
3: people from Arkansas. <laughs> By the way, we used to live in Arkansas. I went to University of Arkansas. wu pig suey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: but you're right. I mean, remember the big yellow taxi song? And it was it was it Joni Mitchell? They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. But yep. it's happening all over the place. And I mean, Arkansas is a wonderful state, but it still does go to show that if it can happen in Arkansas, it can happen pretty much anywhere.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So anyway, I, I guess on the other side of this, what it really gets us to is once we have a little bit of a reset, people will, I don't know, maybe I am just getting old, Jeff. I don't know. My dad always taught me to be thankful to have a job. Oh yeah. To work and do what I could to show up early so I could start my work on time and so that I could, be of value to my employer and that's how you got promoted and if you had a job that you know really wasn't where you wanted to be you worked that job and you did what you were supposed to do there until you could do better and mm. today we just don't have a lot of that we just have a lot of people saying hey i just don't think 22 an hour to flip hamburgers is enough you know wow. or whatever <laughs> you know the thing well, yeah, is gosh. i just think people have to get back to grassroots and get thankful again i mean right now we they talk everybody talks about well i can't hardly make ends meet yet they have $3000 cell phones one for the kids and one for the husband yeah. and the wife i mean and again i don't it's not that i don't want to have people to have nice things it's just the lifestyle that we live today is really conducive to a lot of debt and a lot of subscription services that tends to drain people's wallets Right. I think
3: some of that too is what contributed to, you know, the Oliver Anthony phenomenon. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jeff, but basically there was a guy that was uh, doing a very small concert out in Virginia and he wrote a song called Rich Men North of Richmond. Uh-huh. and what he was talking about is that very thing what the system pays for what it doesn't pay for taxes dollar valuation and all that and so it was a very you know not your typical country song you know about uh, you know your dog dying and drinking yourself to death or whatever right um and so it went viral and he got like 40 million views and then he did the podcast tour and all that everybody found him to be very fascinating simply right. observing his everyday life and i think what Randy was talking about is kind of what produced that
1: yeah i'm familiar with that song I- I have heard that and it is an interesting concept talking with randy and jake floyd here at floyd financial group we're talking about current events we're talking about the debt crisis also home mortgage rates i mean they continue to rise too last i looked gentlemen average 7.8 percent now i think i don't know if that's with you know like a high fico score but that's what the average is right now it wasn't that long ago a couple of years ago was three percent so how do these home mortgage rates affect what's going on right now in the country and the economy and the markets?
3: Yeah, I think that you know it has a has a big effect on whether or not people can buy houses. You know, we talked quite a bit on this show about supply versus demand of housing, and you know we still continue to see supply slightly lower than demand, and so we haven't really seen a price shift yet. But man, I think as soon as we see demand falter just a teeny bit more, we're going to start to see prices really start to come down. I think also in this area, a lot of it's driven. By land prices and uh, if you're a landowner or even if you're not you may be aware that depending on where you're at in a 60 mile radius of uh, Springfield some of that land is up anywhere from 100 to like four or five hundred percent over the last five years which is number one not sustainable but I was actually talking to a a friend I have in the banking industry and he was talking about that right now on land your average bank is loaning it closer to eight and a half percent not even seven or seven and a half Mm -hmm. on land. And so, you know, he was thinking that a lot of the reason why we haven't seen the shoe drop yet is because on land, a lot of people are, you know, if they're buying an $800,000 piece of land, for example, you know, they're bringing 500,000 cash to the table and financing 300. And so because of that, they're having all this cash from somewhere. I would speculate in this area, and I'm sure that we have a lot of people listening to this show that probably fit this bill that, you know, a lot of people, if you have land in this area, you work your job but before and after your job, you run... 20, 30, 40, 50 head of cattle, you know? And so because of that, uh, there's been a pretty major drought north of town here where, you know, the last couple of weeks have been pretty good. But prior to that, it had been six months without any real rain and everybody's fields are destroyed. And so they're getting their, you know, where maybe somebody used to run 100 or 200 head. Now they're down to 20 or 40 just to right. kind of let it be. But so that capital that came out of that cattle, maybe they're using it to buy more land, right? So I think I think there's a lot of different dynamics at play And I do think that the Springfield area is slightly different than a lot of other places. I think every area has their own unique kind of mix in the economy. But um, I think land prices may be doing more to us here than we realize.
1: And mortgage rates are relevant not only those people who are buying a new home, but those people who are looking to sell a home, too. Maybe they've got to sell a home. Maybe they've got to downsize. Maybe they're uh, looking to go into assisted living. So these high mortgage rates are keeping these homes on the market longer than they have before and certainly limiting the number of people who can buy them who are not coming in with cash. One more thing before we end up this segment is uh, China. There are tremors in uh, China's real estate market as well.
2: I think there's worse than tremors over there from what yeah. I'm seeing right now. <laughs> I to be- and here's the thing, too. You know, China is really big on saving face, so we may never know the real truth right, as to how bad that is. But, yeah, they've got some trouble over there. You know, I don't wish anybody any ill, but, you know, if they need to focus on their internal problems a little bit more, maybe they will be a little less aggressive on the uh, world landscape. You know, Randy, I think I'm worried that it may be the opposite
3: of what you're saying, meaning because the real estate is struggling, will that make them more aggressive, more desperate? You know, and I think that's the potential risk. I hope you're right, but, you know, I don't know. I I don't really want to see China get desperate either.
1: So Randy and Jake, before we continue, I want to take just a moment here to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you to ask their questions about how all of this affects them, the market, and the economy. If you need answers, then request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment. Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review by calling 417-889-7233. Again, that number, 417-889-7233. When you call, you're going to get a friendly voice on the other end of the line, more than likely Ashley, who gathers some basic information from you and then sets you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, 417-889-7233 or request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break. We'll be right back with more Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to
0: talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so? Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Randy and Jake Floyd with Jeff Shade.
2: Welcome back everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're gonna be talking about 2% inflation, 4% inflation. What do we really need and what does it really mean?
1: And I came across this epiphany when I was driving the other day. I had a long drive and I wasn't interested in listening to the radio. And of all things, I was thinking about inflation for some reason or another. I guess it's because I filled my gas tank up just before I left to take my trip home and I was thinking about inflation. You know, they're reporting it at 3.7% as of September 13th. And I think that's probably underestimating it. It was 9.1% about a year ago. And we're really struggling to get to 2%. Jerome Powell really. Really is intent on getting to 2%, but I was thinking, well, what if we said 4% is good enough? At least it's not 9.1%, but it's not 2%. So Jake and I were talking off the air yesterday, and we were talking about what if it were just 4%. How would that affect things? So Jake, I'll let you take it from there because I know that you did a spreadsheet. What would happen if we just left it at 4% and said, eh, that's good enough?
3: Yeah, I think also, Jeff, the way you kind of brought us in there, you, you you made it sound like you're not always thinking about inflation in the economy and everything. I mean, is that, you mean everybody doesn't think about that every waking second of every day? I, I guess not. I don't
1: know. It seems okay. to pop into my mind because I happen to be a regular <laughs> consumer like anybody else. And, you know, I'm not Mr. Moneybags over here. But yeah, you know, inflation is something that I have noticed. It's cut into my buying power. And I just wonder, you know, what would happen if we decide, if we just sort of gave up and said, okay, let's settle on 4%. Because because it seems like it's such a struggle to get to 2%. Who knows when that's going to happen and what the effects are going to be, you know, in the struggle to get to 2%. Yeah,
3: so I think the Fed has repeatedly pushed back on the idea that they may shift away from 2%. So I think obviously underlying the problem is, you know, we don't necessarily need to get to 2%. The problem is is if we shoot for 2%, we'll end up at 3 or 4%. If we shoot for 4%, we're going to end up at 5 6 7%. So while 4% isn't necessarily the end of the world, it's it's significantly worse than 2% as I will illustrate here in just a second, but uh 6 7 and 8% is totally unacceptable. And so I think a lot of it is psychology of Let's shoot for the 2% and land among the 4%, if you will. (laughs) So when we're we're looking at these numbers, you know, if we run the numbers forward 30 years, let's say we have 2% inflation, 30 years later, we will need $17,758 to go where our $10,000 goes now. So we'll lose about 43% of our buying power at 2%. And so I think a lot of people would are kind of shocked by that number, right? Because it's quite a bit of buying power lost, right? Forty-three percent. But let's compare that to four percent. So at four percent, we need thirty-one thousand one hundred eighty-six dollars to go where our ten thousand dollars went before. Mm. So that's a 67.9% loss of buying power. And so that's significantly different, even just from two to four. But let's say that we just let it run rampant and we go to, let's say, 7%. So at 7%, we need $71,142 after 30 years, where our $10,000 used to go. And we've lost almost 86% of our buying power. And so I think people think, well, you know, the difference between two and four and 6%, you know, it's not really that big a deal because you have countries like Turkey running. and Argentina running 100% and people come in with backpacks full of money to buy a loaf of bread and things like that. So in the scheme of things, it's better, but inflation is incredibly destructive, especially to retirees and people living on fixed income. So I think it is important to really put things into context. But you're right, Jeff. I think we don't necessarily need to get to 2%, but I think the Fed has to set up the expectation that we'll take nothing except 2% to make sure that we're not uh, we we don't leave too much on the table.
1: So once again, if inflation were 7%, you would lose 86% of your buying power. But if we're really trying to get this down to 2%, if that's what our goal is, and we keep raising rates, then of course, interest rates are going to go up. So what would happen if we just settled on 3%? I mean, it's not 2%, but it's not 4%. Is 3% a figure that we could live
3: with? I think what we'll end up finding, Jeff, is it's, is it's less about the target, as far as, like, the Fed has to project this message, but what they're actually looking at, and what we're actually wanting to accomplish is really less about the target and where we actually end up is really what it's about. And so I think 3 percent's probably logically somewhere close to where we will end up. It's going to be very difficult to get back to 2% without just destroying everything and then going to negative inflation, also known as deflation, right? Mm-hmm. I think that they don't want to see that happen. They don't want to kill, you know, it's been a long time getting to the jobs market that we have. And while it's a little too strong, we don't necessarily want to go back to 10 or 15% unemployment either. And so I think they will be willing to accept 3%, but they would never say that.
1: Well, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So let's figure that we've got inflation at 3%. These days, even with safe money investments, how easy is it to make 3% at least just to keep up with inflation? And you know, how easy is it to get more in terms of your return on investment so that you can make a little bit money in today's environment?
2: Yeah, well, Jeff, right now, that's pretty easy to do. You know, we got money market accounts somewhere between 45 and 5.5% out there. And if uh, Jerome raises rates again next month because he's still trying to kill inflation, or i say next month, the first part of November now, you know, we may have 5.75% fixed accounts. So at 3%, yeah, you're going to make a little money. You're not going to get rich, but you're going to make a little money. The thing that I think is interesting about the 3% number, and this is kind of a rule of thumb that people can use to determine how long it takes, before you need double the amount of money you started with right so if you take three and you divide it into 72 it goes 24 times so that means that 3% inflation every 24 years, you need twice as much money. So, you know, when we look at these things, we want some inflation because when you and I go out and we buy a house and we finance it for 15, 20 years, then we want to buy our next house. We don't want the house we bought to be worth less than we right. paid for it. We want it to be worth a little bit more. So 2 and 3% inflation, and if you look back, I would say that real estate inflation, you could say across the housing market, and of course, there's exceptions across the country, you know, for, uh, you know, beachfront property and Jackson Hole whole Wyoming property and things like that. But for the most part, we've had, you know, maybe 3% compound inflation on properties and things, and we want that. Nobody wants deflationary stuff. It just doesn't work well. But again, to get this thing under control, we got to do a couple of things. We have to slow down people's spending, or we have to become more productive. And Jake and I are probably on the same page here. We think that looking forward, AI and automation is going to help us fuel the productivity that we need to get this under control. Ultimately, And so, you know, we're watching that marketplace really closely right now. Uh, the AI players are really in the stratosphere. The, the stock prices are of most of those companies. I mean, like NVIDIA is probably up. I don't know. I haven't looked here recently. I know they've been off a little bit, but they're probably up 250% year to date, somewhere in that range. That sort of thing is really not sustainable long term. But long term, AI will play a very big piece, I think, in helping us get inflation under control. The other thing that's really problematic right now and that we need to be thinking about, I think, and this is probably what's, what's going to come up in this next election, is we have got to get energy costs under control because energy costs affect everything. Jeff, if you remember back to the Industrial Revolution when you know Henry Ford and those guys were inventing the assembly line, mm-hmm. the hard thing prior to that was getting things made made and getting things built right but as we really became efficient at making things then what was it the logistics how do i move those things from point a to point b and what's the cost attached to that right and the cost of doing that has been going up and up and up and up we've got to get that under control
1: Yeah, and you were talking about energy costs, and I was flabbergasted to see in California that in many places now gasoline is over $6 a gallon, over $6 a gallon. I mean, I travel around the country a little bit in middle Tennessee where I have a home as well. I mean, gasoline prices are like three and a quarter, so why six plus dollars per gallon in California? Does this have
2: to do with taxes? Well, yeah, for sure. Gavin has to pay for all that stuff he's been shooting his mouth off about. And just
3: remember that if Gavin Newsom gets into the presidency Uh-oh. somehow, he'll make America look the same way as it does California. Oh, my gosh. So just, let's just say no to drugs here.
1: <laughs> okay. No to drugs, no to inflation, too. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about what if scenarios, if inflation, if we just settle for 4% versus 2%. Let's talk about returns on investment. I mean, uh, if inflation were 3%, you only had to make 3% to have the same buying power. Would that be good enough? I mean, could you go through your entire retirement with just having the same buying power? I mean, ultimately, you want a little bit more. But what would happen if you just said, OK, inflation's 3%, it's 4%. We'll settle for 3 or 4% on our investment.
2: Well, there has been some speculation, and Jake and I were just talking about that earlier, this earlier today, that maybe the normal interest rate or there we may be in an upward spiral in interest rates that we haven't seen in a long time. If we look back over our shoulder, 1981 through 2020, interest rates basically went from the 10-year Treasury bill was about 15, and it went to 0.53 by August of 2020, so it lost 14.5% of what it was paying in interest, and now, of course, all that stuff is starting to bounce back as Jerome Powell has started to raise interest rates since March of 22, and so, you know, maybe we normalize, or I don't know if there's such a word as normalize or not in this arena. I don't know. What is normal, right? But maybe there's a new level of interest rate in the five or six percent range that we need to live with in some ways that would be great for retirees and especially if like you said if we could manage to get inflation to 3% and I can make 5% I'm not going to get wealthy but I can you know replace what I spend plus a little you know and and come out long term over a 30 year retirement
1: we're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group, and we've been talking about inflation, 2%, 3% versus 4 and even as high as 7%. Again, if you've got questions about how inflation can affect you and your retirement journey, we invite you to get your no cost, no obligation, no judgment retirement roadmap with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. Quite simple to do. Call 417-889-7233. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll be talking about 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed individuals make. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day,
0: and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your
2: hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the 12 common mistakes retirees make.
1: And this is an interesting concept here. You know, I've compiled a list of 12 common retirement mistakes, as I understand it, that a lot of people make. I'd like to go through them with you so that you can offer me and our listeners a little context, Randy and Jake, so that they can make the right decision for themselves. And I'll kick it off with number one. The number one problem point here is claiming Social Security too early. That's a a really common mistake.
3: Yeah, Jeff. So I think that, you know, I would kind of alter this one just to say maybe claiming Social Security at the incorrect time based on your plan. So sometimes that's too early. Sometimes people wait too long and spend their money down waiting to take Social Security at a higher level, which can be just as damaging depending on your situation. So when we're looking at Social Security, you know, and number one and number two kind of go together here and we'll, we'll dovetail into number two here in a minute. But Claiming it too early can be problematic, especially if you're still working. Because if you're still working, you can only make so much money without having to pay back Social Security. Again, though, as I alluded to a minute ago, if you if we claim Social Security too late and we are spending our retirement savings down trying to increase our Social Security take because some CFP on a TV show said that that's the way to do it, we really need to make sure we're focused on you your plan, your spending habits, and not really take kind of blanket advice. And that includes this show, right? When we're talking about things, you know, don't take that as personal advice. It's important to really take everything in context of your situation, which is why when people come in for their complimentary review, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about, we do talk about the numbers, but we spend a lot of time talking about you as a person and what you like to do. And if you find yourself with an extra 40 hours a week, what are you gonna do with that time? And how much does it cost to do what you're gonna do with that time? Those are all very important things that all factor into when we file for social security. But I think claiming it too early or too late can have major repercussions on what you're doing. So it's important to really have a plan and have a professional help you understand the consequences or perks to filing at a given time.
1: And on the surface, it seems simplistic. I mean, you can take it early, age 62, you can take it at full retirement age, between 66 and 67, or you can wait until 70. But those are three choices. In reality, there are many more choices depending upon your individual situation, right?
2: Absolutely, Jeff. The numbers of ways to figure out Social Security and when to take it and who's going to take it first, you or your wife, Yeah, there's just so many things that come into play here. You just can't make a blanket statement like, "Yep, yeah, you claimed it too early. I will tell you, you know, in the situation that we're in right now where Social Security is under a lot of pressure, we think there's some changes coming to Social Security for people. Probably those 60 and older are probably in pretty good shape now. If you're under 60, there may be some means-based testing and several things coming down the road. Now, this is conjecture on our part, but we know that they're going to have to do something to salvage the Social Security system. they are system. talking about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they've talked about rate cuts and and all sorts of things. But I'm just telling you, you know, there's no blanket answer here, and everybody's situation is different. I mean, what if you have failing health? What if, you know, you can't continue to work? You know, there's just so many things. Or maybe your spouse has failing health, and you're close to where that, you know, it could make sense to do. There's just so many things. There's the dollars and cents side, and then there's always the people side of this thing that we have to look at.
3: And I would say, too, that there's as many people that claim it too late as too early it is pretty rare that I, that somebody turns on social security at the correct time. If we have people come in and see us, a lot of times they're already claiming where maybe they shouldn't have, or maybe they haven't claimed and they should have, you know, and so it is a big thing. And I think, you know, number two here, I'm going to jump the gun, okay. but number two of our problem points list is if we continue to work after claiming social security before our full retirement age, that's mistake number two. So let's handle that a little bit. So if you claim social security before your full retirement age, which most people right now are 66 and six months or up to 67 years old would be your full retirement age. If you claim it at 62, let's say, the most money you can make without having to pay back some social security is about $20,500 this year. And so that that number changes and floats with inflation a little bit, but it goes up a little bit each year. But $20,500, if you make more than that, you must pay back $1 for every two that you make beyond that. So if you have taken Social Security while you're still working, this is something we see fairly often where people have done that. What happens is you just start missing payments of Social Security until they get back with the part that they're supposed to get back. But the problem with that is you're not getting the benefit of the deferral and you're not getting the benefit of the money. So this is kind of one of the big things we really want to avoid when it comes to Social Security is having to pay it back because we filed early and we're making too much money.
1: So our first two common retirement mistakes that even well-informed people make is claiming social security at the wrong time and then continuing to work after claiming social security early. Let's move on to the next one. That's going to be carrying debt into retirement or paying off debt when you retire.
2: Yeah. So, you know, this is a really interesting one. There are those people that will carry quite a bit of debt into retirement. Maybe it's just a house, or maybe they even have some credit card debt. I would tell you that if that's going to be your scenario. Unless your health just won't support it, I think you should go ahead and work a little longer. Or if you have a situation where you can work part-time to help accelerate paying off some of your debt after you filed for Social Security, or maybe you got a pension and all that sort of thing. But carrying debt into retirement is really not a good thing. Again, you're just having to pay. It just raises what you have to make each month and how much you have your budget requirements are into retirement. And so when there's a market downturn and things like that, it puts additional pressure on you. Also, we know that there are some people out there that have had home equity lines of credit as they went into retirement. Well, you know, for the longest time, home equity lines were 3 and 4% uh, and had a 10-year time horizon to pay them off. Well, now those things are at 85 and 9 and 10% on the same loan that they had. And so now they're having a really hard time getting that even paid down. I think also Jeff you know let's let's add in mistake number 3.2
3: here if you will and say that mistake 3.2 is having credit card debt going to retirement and then taking a big portion of your IRA or 401k and paying that off, paying your house off, that might need to be number one, actually. That's something that we do see where people take their retirement savings, they pay off a bunch of debt, car, house even, and then they owe close to half that what they took out in taxes, mm-hmm. and they've just kind of gone to financial ruin. Now, there are situations where it can make sense to use retirement assets to pay off debt, but it's very, it needs to be a very specific situation that's going to impact you very well cash flow-wise, where you may not be able to operate otherwise. So I'm not saying it's never the right thing to do. But I am saying that in many cases, it's not the right thing to do because you you pay so much in taxes, and then you've also kind of given up a lot of your freedom from your retirement account. So if you're thinking about using your 401k to pay off your house or something like that, please talk to somebody before you do that. Make sure you understand the repercussions of what you're doing.
1: And there's good debt and there's bad debt. And bad debt, of course, would be credit cards and, you know, student loans, home equity lines of credit, personal loans, things like that. You could argue that good debt would be your house. I mean, how do you feel about paying off? The mortgage before you go into retirement because it occurs to me your house appreciates whether or not you own it
3: completely or not. I think it's a good idea to have it paid off, but it's not a prerequisite, especially if you're at a two to three percent mortgage, like a lot of people are. Um, it's hard to want to be in a hurry to pay off debt two and a half percent in a world where debt costs seven and a half and eight percent or more. So, you know, again, that's a little bit case by case basis. Sometimes if you're at the tail end of your mortgage, let's say you got five years left on your mortgage. You have a thousand dollar a month house payment and a fifty thousand dollar balance, you know, and paying that mortgage off improves your cash flow by a thousand dollars a month. That probably makes sense to do. And again, we're not giving blanket advice here. We need to take this as a case by case basis, but there are some situations where that can make sense. But it usually comes if somebody is needs more cash flow per month and paying off that debt would significantly improve their cash flow beyond what we could generate off that money if we just left it invested.
1: 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed individuals make. We've talked about claiming Social Security at the wrong time, continuing to work after claiming Social Security earlier, and carrying debt into retirement or paying off debt when you retire. Next one, being too conservative or aggressive in the market.
2: Boy, that's a good one, Jeff. I will tell you that we have seen all sides of that. And, of course, with the changing of interest rates We've seen some additional changes in thought process there, not only just through our clients, but also our way of thinking with what's happening, you know, all around the globe and with interest rates being higher and the pressures on the markets and profitability, you know, with with all the wage price spiral that's going on. Yes, everybody needs to assess where do I live? What am I comfortable with as I look at my retirement accounts? How much can they move and me not lose sleep at night? Or you know, what's the least amount of return that you can feel good about? Now, let me just say this too. When we sit down with people and we're engineering your retirement plan, we're gonna absolutely have a number in mind that we need to hit to be sure that you're gonna have the money you need and you're not gonna run out of money. But suffice it to say that, you know, Some folks come in and they're just really, really, really conservative. And then some are really, really aggressive. We're going to land somewhere in the middle. We always tell people, you know, you've worked 25, 35, 45, maybe 50 years to amass this money. We are not going to take anything for granted on how we invest this money. And we're going to take time. And I think this is probably the the really the crux of the matter. We're going to take time to say, hey, here's where we are today. But this will not always be this way. Things will change. You know, we'll migrate back to the stock market here before long. We know that we will. Interest rates will probably come down due to several things we won't go into here right now today. I don't know exactly when that will be, but it probably will come back down, and we need to be nimble and ready to move. But being too conservative or too aggressive, one of the things we look at every day for people, and yes, we need to be really careful of that and assess it for everyone.
1: We're talking about the 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed people make. We've covered four of those. We've got eight to go. If you'd like to talk to Randy and Jake about your individual situation to avoid making these retirement mistakes, once again, for your no-cost, no-obligation retirement review with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233, Remember, it's just a friendly conversation that's not going to cost you a dime. There's no obligation, and of course, there's no judgment. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll continue with these 12 common retirement mistakes when Show Me the Money continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.
0: Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial sherpas, Randy and Jake
2: Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money, and we're going to continue talking about the 12 most common retiree mistakes. And we've talked about claiming
1: Social Security at the wrong time, continuing to work after claiming Social Security early, carrying debt into retirement or paying off debt when you retire and being too conservative or aggressive in the market. The next one is going to be failing to be diversified.
3: Yeah, I think, Jeff, when it comes to diversification, we need to diversify within the stock market, right? But we also need to diversify between strategies and between asset classes in general. So what we don't want to do is just simply put money in the market and be at the mercy of whichever direction direction the market is headed right so stocks and bonds you know are, are the typical you know retirement and investment assets but there's other things to be considered too you know a lot of people ask us about gold while i'm not the biggest fan of gold there can be some places where that makes sense to do you know there's annuities there's life insurance there's real estate there's you know other alternative investments and so making sure that your diversified asset classes is good but also make sure that whatever strategies you're employing make sure they're not all predicated on the same thing meaning all of them do one thing at the same time if something happens in the market or they all go to safety at the same time they go to risk at the same time. We want to make sure that however they work, they work independently with strategy as well as assets.
1: And our next common retirement mistake is not understanding how to pull income in retirement.
2: Yeah, this is a really good one here, Jeff. So um, many times we have people come in, they say, well, you know, I can draw 10% is what I was told off my assets and I'll be fine, right? <laughs> well, you know, if you're earning five and you're pulling 10, you're negative five. And if you're subject to the market and we have a 2007, eight and nine, negative 53%, all of a sudden you got 40% of your money trying to derive 100% of the income at a too higher rate to yeah. start with. So I mean, understanding... 10% could be right if you're 90, I guess. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, understanding how to pull income is something we work with people here on very closely, and many folks just, you know, they don't know, them. and it's and it's nothing that they've done wrong, it's just that you've saved money, saved money, saved money, saved money, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got this pile of money over here, what can I do with it, and what can I reasonably expect, and that's what we'll help you understand.
1: We're talking about 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed people make. And the next one, we're up to number seven now, is not planning for required minimum distributions or RMDs.
2: Yeah, that's a da-da-da-da. Well, if you don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the penalty's stiff on that one. Yeah, oh, yeah, 50% is what the government wants if you don't take your RMD uh-huh. in a timely fashion. So if you had, you know, if you needed to take ten or $15,000, they are going to charge you half that. So that's something that we really help people to plan and figure out. Uh, and we always run, you know, checklists every year to make sure people have done that. So, yeah, that's a big one.
1: And our next retirement mistake that is common that even well-informed people make is overspending in your early retirement years or not spending enough.
2: Yeah, that's a good one, Jeff. Sometimes we have people come in and they've saved their whole life like we talked about and they just can't do it. They can't spend any money out of their out of their retirement money, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I often, and this is not to make people feel crazy or anything, but I often say, you know, these little squirrels that run around the countryside here on the hillsides mm-hmm. and dig up acorns and stuff and they put them in the base of a tree or they dig into the ground and put them in there and they put all those acorns in there so that when it's uh, cold and snowy and there's nothing really for them to eat, they go in there and what do they do they get into the nest egg that they saved so Mm -hmm. it's time when people get to retirement age to go ahead and let's start to spend some of that money now on the other hand we've alluded to this those people I never have to worry about running out of money because they we can't hardly get them to spend anyway Then we have some other folks that think, you know, hey, I've got, you know, a million dollars, I got a million five, I can spend anything I want. Well, that would be an incorrect answer, and those are the ones that we worry about. So, uh, anyway, just know that we will help you work through that.
3: The takeaway from that is it's pronounced acorns, not acorns. (laughs) Acorns? (laughs) I always called it acorns.
1: (inaudible) Randy and I wrong? acorns.
3: It's acorns here. Randy's the one calling them acorns. (laughs) Oh,
1: acorns. I was going to say I called them acorns.
3: (laughs) They are acorns. I was just giving him a hard time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot you can learn from those little furry creatures. I do enjoy watching them, but I never thought I would learn so much from them. We're talking about 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed people make. We are up to retirement mistake number nine, and that is neglecting
2: to plan for long-term care. Yeah, Jeff, this is definitely a a big one. And you know, I know that there's a lot of people that don't like to think about it. Nobody likes to think about being locked down somewhere where you can't go and do what you want to do, like you've always been doing your whole life, right? But again, at the same time, we have to be realistic that, you know, about half the people will need some sort of long-term care before they leave this earth. And I, you know, I, I like to tell people that we, none of us get out of here alive. We will eventually leave here. But you know, we need to think about that. And and traditionally, when we looked at the old type of long-term care insurance, where I said, well, you know, I think my benefit needs to be so many dollars a day to pay for care. And then you set up a premium payment and the company raised your rates and raised your rates and raised your rates. You know, we don't really recommend that type of long-term care planning uh, anymore that much. We generally do something that is either asset-based or something that allows you to have a plan that does not change. I like things that don't change when it comes to long-term care. So we can talk about all the different things that need to be uh, thought about in a long-term care plan. And there's some people listening to this that all you need to think about is how or where are we going to draw money from if and when we need long-term care. Because you may have enough assets to go ahead and self-fund. But that's certainly something we need to not neglect in a retirement plan. And sometimes even if you can self-fund,
3: maybe that's not the right decision. If we can leverage money to pay for it more efficiently, that's something we can help with too. Maybe make $1, pay for $3 worth of care. Um, You know, if you want to learn more about that, that's something we can talk about when you come in too.
1: So neglecting to plan for long-term care, that is an important mistake that even well-informed people make. We're up to number 10 now, not updating your estate planning documents.
2: Yeah, this is one that can sneak up and bite you for sure. You know, as we go through life and we move money around, you know, especially here of late, we've had a lot of people come in and say, well, yeah, you know, I was over here at blank bank Mm -hmm. and they were only paying me 0.20 interest, starts with a C, but, (laughs) and then we had to move to blank bank over here to get 3% then we had to move to blank bank over here to get five. Sometimes as they move monies around and things, they don't always get things titled properly. Like if they have a trust and that sort of thing, they didn't get that done. Maybe they didn't even get a POD on there, or maybe they didn't get all the people on there on the POD, because when they filled out the form over there at the other bank, they didn't have the social security number and the date of birth of the person that was supposed to get that, so it got left off, and then they're going to go back and do it later, but it didn't happen.
3: Or maybe you have a daughter that's taking care of you or something, and she's power of attorney, and she didn't get put on the bank account as power of attorney, so she can help pay the bills or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's, it's important to make sure that, especially powers of attorney, is something you really need to update probably every five to seven years and the reason for that is uh, some institutions will question if that is the most recent power of attorney if they haven't been done more recently meaning if you say hey i got this power of attorney from 30 years ago they're going to be like the chances of this being the most recent one and the valid one Mm -hmm. are less than if they you know if it was five years ago or something so updating those things from time to time is also an important thing to do
1: 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed people make. We have covered 10 of those. Number 11, underestimating how long you're going to live.
2: Yeah, that's a good one, Jeff. I will tell you, a lot of times people come in, they sit down with us, you know, uh, there's a, there's an old Charlie Rich song that we may have talked about one time before. Remember which one that is? It was an old Charlie Rich song called "Rollin' With The Flow. Yeah, yeah, sure. And in that one, he says, once was the thought inside my head, before I reached 30, I'd be dead. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's a lot of people that come in and they think, well, you know, I'm 65. I'm not going to be here past 70 or 75. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, once you reach 60, there's the stats say that you're going to live a few more years and that w- either you or your spouse one of you has a really good chance to live to 90 or 95 and we certainly see that a lot today but one of the things we want to make sure of is that we uh, in the event that we do live to be 90 or 95 we do not want to be on the street corner holding a sign
1: so yeah. underestimating how long you're going to live is a very common retirement mistake that brings us up to number 12 which is quitting your job before your plan is funded
2: Well, that's a good one, Jeff. You know, I will say this. I do have a few people that come in to see us that uh, they come in and they say, okay, it's uh, January. I'm retiring in March. And we say, Okay. All right. So we'll go to work on that. Some work to Sometimes do.
3: they come in and they say, I just retired two weeks ago. <laughs> right. Now I need to do some planning. I did it yesterday. Right. Here I am. And if that's yeah. you, that's okay. And we can definitely help you with that. So I don't, right. wanna, I don't want people to think we're beating them up. But no. yeah, it, the sooner you come in, the better your chances of getting accomplished what you want to have accomplished.
2: Yeah, and I want to say one thing, too. Sometimes we have people come in and they think that they're not funded and that they're not at a place where they can retire. And at the end of our first sit-down, you know, Jake and I look at each other and we go, well, these people can retire right now. I think those <laughs> are my favorite meetings, to be honest, where somebody <laughs> yeah. comes
3: in they say, you know, I think I'm up to work another five to seven years. And we look at their stuff and we look at their retirement. And we look at how much money they have. And then we look at what they are likely going to spend, what they're right. going to do with their time. And, we, and I look at Randy or we look at the client and we say... You know I don't know how to tell you this but you know if you want to quit right now you probably could yeah <laughs> I, I think those are I think those are my very favorite ones cuz usually yeah. they don't go quit right then right but what they do is they carry themselves differently at work, knowing that if the boss gives them crap or whatever, they can say, you know what? I don't need this, and I don't have to do it, and take I'm out of job. here. And sometimes, yeah, take the job and shovel it, right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, but, uh, but no, I think it makes it less hard to stay at work if you know you don't have to. You know, there's something about being confined to your job that makes it more miserable than maybe it really is, and so I think that can change people people's overall attitude. In fact, we've seen people radically change just their demeanor and everything after we've had that conversation. So I do think those are probably my favorite ones where they're like, well, I think I have to work two or three more years. Like I got news for you. You know, you can do it right now. They're like, I can? And then sometimes they'll come back the next minute and be like, I quit my job. And I'm like, okay, well, we probably better get, to, better get the income started here, you know?
1: <laughs> so many times you're the bearer of good news. We've been talking about 12 common retirement mistakes that even well-informed individuals make. We've talked about claiming social security at the wrong time, continuing to work after claiming social security early, carrying debt into retirement or paying off debt when you retire, being too conservative or aggressive in the market, failing to be diversified, not understanding how to pull income in retirement, not planning for RMDs, overspending in your early retirement years or not spending enough, also neglecting to plan for long-term care, not updating your estate planning documents, underestimating how long you're going to live, and then finally quitting your job before your plan is funded. If you have missed any part of the program or you want to hear it all over again, remember we are a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcast. You will find this show and all of our others so that you can keep on top of your wealth and your journey towards retirement. Well, Randy and Jake, I'm going to remind our listeners before we go today that if you do have questions about the show, you want to get in for your no-cost, your no-obligation financial review with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation, and no judgment. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. We're out of time. Thank you for your time, Randy and Jake. I also want to thank our fine listeners here in the Last Bastion of Springfield Missouri for joining us get out have a great day we'll talk to you again next week with another edition of show me the money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk
0: The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.